chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, last week we looked at the parables. We went through those five parables and saw how they're all connected together. We see Mark continuing. He has a, a continuity with these, these many stories. Over the next two weeks, we're going to do a two-week series on, on the series title. is called Two Choices. What we're going to look at here is four stories of people, situations, over the next two weeks, which we're going to do two stories this morning and then two stories next Sunday of these situations that people are put in, four stories in total of each, in each one of these, the people have two choices to make. They have a decision, one or the other. And I think sometimes we make things more complicated than they have to be. Does anybody think that you make things more complicated than it has to be? And and a lot of times it's the people on the outside that say, man, you're really making this more complicated than it has to be. It's McDonald's or Taco Bell. (laughs) They're the closest. They're walking distance. Everybody knows McDonald's is better. And you have to walk less, too, so you're not going to burn as many calories. Maybe maybe you should go to Taco Bell. You know what? Let's go to (laughs) Eggworks. We make things more complicated than they really have to be. We look at our life and we say, you know, if I make this decision or if I allow this to happen in my life, then these are all the things that, that, that could potentially happen. No, it's, it's not true. A lot of times the decisions or the choices are, are very simple. And I think we see this example in Scripture of having these two choices because it really does boil down to one or the other. And it's not always the same, but it does end up many times being simple. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? A famous story in the scripture. Why are we so able to identify with this story? Because we go through storms in life. And we we like this picture, this understanding of Jesus being in the boat. What are the two choices that they had while they were going through the storm you guys know come on fear or faith fear or faith why were they not supposed to be afraid why because in faith jesus told them that they were doing what that they were going to sink in the middle of the sea He said, we're going to the other side. 
So the faith would be in Jesus' word. The wind is coming up. The boat is filling with water. We have experienced fishermen on this boat. There's a capacity to handle the situation. I wonder how long they waited till they woke Jesus up. They're bailing water, and it's getting so bad that they're terrified. And they respond in fear? They respond in fear. They do not respond in faith. How many times in our lives, when we're in the midst of the storm, do we respond in fear rather than responding in faith? Because whatever you're going through right now, Jesus has addressed it with you. If it's not in Scripture that he's clearly told you that he's going to take care of you and handle it, then he also can tell you personally And I know people who have said, I know the Lord has told me that everything is going to be okay. And then the next word is, but. You know what the but is? The but is fear. The but is always fear. And fear is interesting. It's connected to a, a couple of other words that we're familiar with. Fear is connected to anxiety. Where does anxiety come from? It comes from fear. Fear is connected to not knowing what's going to happen in the future. But if you knew what was going to happen in the future, there wouldn't be any reason to be afraid, right? Well, Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus knows where you're at in the storm. As I was thinking about this and I was looking at the text and I was reading what Jesus was saying, this this came to mind. To be fearful is to be faithless. To be fearful is to be faithless. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then there's no room at all for fear. And again, I, th- I find it so interesting that there's so many connections to the things that we're going through in the world right now with the, with the scriptures that we go through. Because I feel like there's so much fear. I feel like everybody's scared. There's, there's uncertainty. There's hesitation to make decisions based on fear. And God doesn't want us to be afraid. God doesn't want us to freak out during the storm. One of the things that I love, the story number one is connected to story number two. Like we have been seeing with these many things, these many stories, right? The story number one and story number two is connected. One of the things that we see uh, that bring continuity is Jesus's demeanor. Don't you love that? Jesus is just chill, He's like, I was taking a nap, bro. He's not getting woke up. The water's coming in the boat. He's probably getting wet, and he is sleeping. And while Jesus is calm and composed completely, everybody else is freaking out. They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Isn't this the same thing that you and I do in the storm? We accuse the Lord. 
If you guys don't do it, if you're not honest this morning, then I'll be honest. Things start to go, you know, sideways. Last, last, the beginning of last summer, we were really looking forward to, we're a big camping family. We're really looking forward to getting out and going camping and stuff, you know, and really excited. And things were all coming together. We're getting ready. We're heading up to southern Utah to go spend some time in the pines. And the truck started making a funny noise outside of Cedar City. Long story short, we stop at this mechanic who takes almost three days to fix the problem. And we have our little pop-up camper in the KOA on Main Street in Cedar City. I, I don't want to be around people right now. I want to be away. I want to be in the mountains. We can see our destination. It's so close. And it was like every day throughout the day, the news about the truck kept getting worse. I'm like, would you just tell me what it is? And I reached a point coming into the, you know, going into the third day where I was laying, I was getting ready to wake up and I was thinking, Lord, why are you doing this to us? We just wanted to go camping. It was going to be peaceful. I got semis driving by my pop-up waking me up at night. Can't you see that I'm perishing? I needed this time. I needed it with my family. I needed it with you, and you're letting me die here on Main Street in Cedar City. Our, our, first, our first thing, really, when we go through the storm, our first thing that we do typically is point and accuse the Lord. He knows everything right. He knows where I'm supposed to be. He knows what's going on. And why is he allowing this to happen to me? And while we're freaking out and blowing up and getting frustrated and getting afraid, Jesus is there. He's there. And he's like, hey, what's up, guys? Why are you tripping? And then he says these words. He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Another parallel we're going to see in this story and the next is that Jesus has the supreme ability of bringing peace and calm to the situation. And it's never in our lives while we're freaking out that answers come and peace is given. It's always when we stop and hand those things over to the Lord. We wake him up, so to speak, and say, Lord, I need your help right now. And maybe the, maybe the wind and the waves are still going, but there's a peace and a calm that happens in your life. I promise you. That's how he deals with it. He's like, I'm here. I'm waiting for you. But then his response, he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, as much as we would like to think that this doesn't apply to us, remember that when you are fearful about something, when you're, when you're anxious about something, when you are troubled, you're faithless. Not completely out of faith, but less than you should be demonstrating. Fear is not from the Lord. And whenever we're in a situation in our life where there is a presence or, or potential for being afraid or fearful, 
that is an indicator that there's also an opportunity to demonstrate faith in God, even though things are scary. Amen? There's no room for fear. You guys know what fear does to you? It tears you apart. Paul, knowing what fear does in a believer's life, writes to his protege, Timothy, and gives him a warning about fear. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and see what Paul has to say to Timothy concerning fear. 2 Timothy 1, 6. Paul says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of what? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Man, when you and I fear in a certain situation, what happens is, we forfeit the power of God that's able to work in our lives because they're contrary to each other. If you're fearful, you are not powerful. What's the second one? He's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love. That's different. If we're fearful in a situation... Our response to ourselves and to others is not going to be in an attitude of love, is it? It's like the famous scene from Titanic with the guy who keeps trying to sneak on the boat with the ladies. Is there any love in that? He's like, let the women and children drown. I just want to live. That's fear. In the presence of fear, there's an absence of love. But God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit of power. That as those things are happening in a potential fearful situation, you have the power of God that's going to show up and handle the situation. You have the love of God that has changed your life radically and will allow you to respond in love rather than fear. And what's that last one? Power of love and of a sound mind. You know, the first thing I would think of is sound mind would be peace, which it is, but the Greek word that we get that word, sound mind, from actually means a, a self-control over our thoughts. That's interesting, huh? Because what does fear do? Fear does the opposite of giving us self-control over our thoughts. Fear brings confusion. And the more you think about it, the more scared you get, the more worked up you get, the more confused you are about that situation. And God says, as my children, I've not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit of power. I've given you a spirit of of self-control in your thought process. I've given you a spirit of love. So my question this morning for all of us, for me included, is what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of right now? What scares you? 
What do you give more thought to than you should when you could be exercising self-control of your thoughts? You could be receiving and dwelling in the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, there was this one particular lady that I knew who was going through a difficult time in life, and, and um, I would talk to her, and when I would talk to her, she'd say, I'm doing good, I, I'm trusting the Lord through all this. And then right after she said she's trusting the Lord, she'd give a laundry list of reasons why she's really freaking out on the inside. I trust the Lord, but what about this and what about that? What about this? And then there's one point where, you know, you have to say the difficult thing that you don't want to say. But as the pastor, you have to say it. I, I, I said, I hear what you're saying, and I know that it's hard, but you're, you're lying to yourself. She said, what do you mean? I said, you said that you're trusting the Lord, but you're not trusting the Lord. And she said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. Because if you were trusting the Lord, you wouldn't have that list of things to keep revisiting every time. And you could see even through her countenance that as she started going through the list, she started to get more and more anxious about things and upset. And whatever confidence there was in the beginning, when you hear those words or when you say those words, I'm trusting the Lord, whatever confidence was there in the beginning, it started to get lost throughout the rest of the things that, that were issues in her life. And you could see the power leaving those words. You could see the love leaving. When there's fear, there's a, there's a, 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 a switch to self-preservation that happens. And then the, the mind, you know, the thought process, it's not controlled. It starts to go crazy. Jesus teaches them a very important lesson here. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I don't know what you guys are going through right now. I don't know if it's a big storm. I don't know if it's a little storm. I don't know what the questions are. But I do know that the Lord wants you to know that he doesn't want you to dwell in a place of fear. And if there's any fear or doubt or, or anxiety, it's not from the Lord. And the substitute, what he wants to bring, is he wants to bring power back into your life. He wants to bring love. He wants to bring a sound mind. So you have to say to him, you have to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of these things. I'm not afraid of the future. I am confident in your ability. I have faith in you. And they feared exceedingly. What were they afraid of exceedingly? Do you guys remember what we just read? What were they afraid of exceedingly? The wind and the waves were over. The, the bow was calm. Everything was calm. They were now afraid of Jesus. Are you kidding me? This is the thread from this story into the next story. What we're going to see over and over again is this fear, some of it even unrational. They're afraid of him. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? 
Jesus is teaching them a lesson. And he's teaching us a lesson too. There's no reason to fear Jesus because there's uncertain things in your life that are out of your control. Have you ever done that before? I've done it. I've made up, I purposed in my heart not to pray or ask the Lord about certain things because I was afraid of what he was going to say. It was an adjustment that I didn't want to make. It was something that needed to be addressed that I didn't want to even think in my heart because I know the Lord sees it. And Lord, I'm not because I knew that, that he would do the right thing. And instead of being willingly submitted to him, there was a submission to myself that really fostered an environment of fear. Until I really give up and say, God, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Work, do it. And usually the answer is not really what I think it is anyway. Does that make sense? The Lord's like, why are you tripping, dude? Stop tripping. Trust me. Fear or faith? To be fearful is to be faithless. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Jesus gets to the east side. We're going to see this is Gentile territory. And the first person who comes to meet him comes running, and it's a, it's a demoniac, a guy that is possessed by the devil. And this story is the clearest, most detailed story of demon possession in the New Testament. For Mark, who has been giving a general picture and an overview until now. Now he gives us a story that has very uh, many details instructing us. And I think the reason that we can couple these two stories together is because, again, the thread is the fear. You guys remember the 90s? It wasn't too long ago. How many of you guys, before you were walking with the Lord, were into horror movies? You loved horror movies, you know. What was the scariest horror movie that you could think of? Freddy Cougar's Bad, Poltergeist. Those were the two main ones, right? The two main horror, horror movies of the 1990s were, were murder in some terrible fashion or demon possession, The Exorcist. And I would say, listen, this is B.C., right? I would say I was more scared of the demonically influenced movies than I was of the murder. Because with murder, there's some kind of, you know, there's some kind of preparatory. You could, you could prepare for it. You know, lock you, and you're yelling at those people. You know you were. You dummy, they're right behind you. You forgot to lock the side door. How could you? You deserve to die. I take that back. Strike that from the record. But there's some element of, of understanding, a connection to the people. But with the demonic, oh, that's scary stuff, man. 
little girls start turning their heads in 360 degrees and walking up the stairs backwards, you know, there, there's, a, there's a terrifying element to that. And look at I'm just painting a picture for you. The disciples are coming from a time where Jesus is teaching thousands of people on the seashore. They cross over, and as they're crossing, we see this huge storm that happens. And I would submit to you, I would agree that this storm is connected to the events that are going to transpire immediately when Jesus gets off the boat. It's demonic. It's, it's in the spiritual realm. And again, we reference back to Jesus, and is he tripping? What am I going to say to this guy? He's got a legion of demons. I don't want to spoil the story for you. There's fear. Do you notice, as we go through this story, uh, spoiler alert, as we go through the demoniac story, none of the disciples are mentioned. You know Why? Because they're hiding on the other side of the boat. I don't know why. But there's an element of the unknown here. And we see how Jesus addresses it. So there's a guy who comes immediately to him. Who has unclean, an unclean spirit. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him. Not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. This guy couldn't live anywhere. Except in a graveyard. How about horror story material for you there? He's so strong because of the possession of the demons. That he breaks chains. Nobody can keep him bound. They want to keep him at a distance. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always day and night, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy is absolutely miserable. People dabble in the occult. They dabble with... uh, uh, astrology and fortune telling and all those things this is very dangerous stuff i hope that you guys understand this people who open themselves up to that kind of stuff are inviting these these creatures these demons to be part of their life And it doesn't tell us, we don't know how this guy got to be in this position, but had gotten so bad that it's not just an evil spirit. It's not being possessed by one evil spirit. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. You know, there's some commentators that say, as we see the story unfold, there's some commentators that say, They believe that the demons were trying to uh, intimidate Jesus. I don't think that I see that here. I see somebody running to the feet of Jesus who knows who he is, throwing himself at his feet and worshiping him. You know, the Bible says that the demons believe in God. (laughs) They believe in Jesus. and And they shake What have I to do with you? And he cried out in a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you not torment me. 
for he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? Interesting thing happens. We are given the latter part of the story before the former. If you remember correctly, all other forms of demon possession, demon possession, possession, Jesus speaks and it happens. This time, Jesus says to come out and the demon responds to him by saying, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Because Jesus had said to him, come out of him, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? Now, there is a connection. People believe that uh, when they were exercising demons and people tried to take this up as a practice or a profession, that if you were to, if you were to utter or speak somebody's full name, that you would exercise some kind of control over them. And one of the connections to some people who believe that Jesus is uh, potentially they're trying to intimidate Jesus is the fact that this is the only time that we see this full title of Jesus in the entire book of Mark. He addresses him by his entire name. He says, Jesus, son of the most high God. And then Jesus responds by saying, what's your name? Jesus isn't moved. He's not worried. He's not concerned. But there's a, there's a level of, of spiritual warfare that's happening in this area. A presence of demons that's evident, not just in this man we'll see, but in the whole area. And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Also, another interesting thing, they had gained somehow a level of control of the area demonically, spiritually speaking. They had made progress, and they're asking Jesus, don't send us out of this area, but Jesus has the authority to do whatever he wants. And he responds, Verse 11, now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine and we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 and the herd ran violently into the steep place, into the, down the steep place, into the sea and drowned in the sea. If there's some kind of spiritual battle that's happening, which there is, in your life, the things that you're going through right now or the storms that you go through, they're not directly connected to, to anything other than, you know, chance or happenstance. It's, it's warfare, spiritual warfare in your life. Then Jesus has the ultimate control over it. So if you're going through a season of spiritual warfare, the, the way that Jesus addresses it is, are you, are you fearful? Or are you, do you have faith? Are you faithless with fear? Or do you have faith in this trial, this difficulty? Who's the next person that we see fear we saw the fear from the disciples. We see uh, the fear uh, towards Jesus. Now we see this man. There's an element possibly that the disciples that were with him are afraid of this guy, this situation. What's another element of fear that we have here? 
the man is fearful of Jesus as well. The demons are scared of him. They're, they're begging him. They're worshiping him and begging him to leave them alone. Now, this story also brings up many questions for us. I think maybe you're thinking of, of 10 different questions about the demonic and spiritual warfare and all those kinds of things. Why did Jesus allow them to go into the swine? You know why? I don't know. I don't know anybody that does know. But there was definitely an element here of fear, and the people's response we're going to see is in the same thread. Verse 14, So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. What? What were they afraid of? And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. If you could pick between living among demons or living among the Son of God, which would you choose? We want to know who God is. God is the one that expels fear. But they were more comfortable with him before he was delivered by Jesus than now. What is their fear uh, connected to? Their way of life is going to change. They're going to have to stop doing things that they did before. There's some people that make the connection between the swine and the fact that Jews weren't allowed to eat swine. So why is there a a pig farm here right across the, the sea? Whatever the case may be, really the undertone throughout the whole thing is this idea of fear. And, and how seriously do we take it? How seriously do we take the fear that has the potential of ruling us, reigning us, to do things that we wouldn't normally do? We haven't been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of what? Power. Love. A sound mind. The same thing that we saw in Jesus calming the storm and bringing peace, we see him doing the same thing to this man's life. There was a storm happening in him. Oh man, was there a storm. And the people come out and they see him peacefully dressed, sitting next to Jesus in his right mind. I was crazy before. I was crazy. When I came to Jesus, he cleansed me. He healed me, and he gave me peace. We've talked about this before. There's a peace that happens in our lives as believers that is intimidating to the rest of the world. Sometimes it's intimidating because they see that we associate that peace with our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And they think, I want that peace. I want that sound mind, you know, but I don't want to submit to Jesus. Get out of here. So the opposite happens. You get flack for it. Before I went to Hungary to go to college, uh, I was a truck driver. You guys, you guys know that. I, I was a Teamster in the Teamsters Union. I did inner city construction, and I drove a water tanker and a stringing truck, and we were on this one job here in Vegas that was supposed to. It was the Lord allowing me to save up some money so that I could go to Europe. And as I was saving up money, uh, uh, I was out of work for a while, but then I got this job for this, this pipeline that was going through Vegas. I don't know if you guys remember in the early 2000s, but... But I got hired, I went out there, and I was, listen, if you guys, if anybody, you know, knows me from before, I don't know if any of you guys did, but I was a zealot. If, if, if there was one thing that the Lord corrected me on in those younger days, it was that I had a zeal without knowledge sometimes, but I was a zealot. And I went into this company and had all these truck drivers every morning, and I was preaching the gospel to them, you know. They, they would say mean things to me on the radio, and I would put my, put my CB on uh, SOS and play a message over the radio for all of them to hear. And I would talk to them over and over again, and, and, and one of the reasons they didn't like me is because I was so young. I was 19 as a journeyman uh, teamster making the same wage as them, and they didn't like that. And they didn't see it very often. Do you know why you're seeing it, you guys? Because of God. Because of Jesus. There's this one guy from New York who gave me the worst time. I mean, it was constant. The job was coming to an end. And he came up to me and he said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I said, what's up? Don't hurt me, big man. He said, you really, you did something to me. I don't know what it is. And I, don't, and I want to let you know that you can keep telling me the things that you've been saying about Jesus, but, but I'm, I'm too far gone. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've done things that God would never forgive me for. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, when I, live in, when, when I lived in New York, the, there was a situation that came up where somebody wronged my family. We took him out, we put sand in his shoes, and we dropped him in the, in the ocean. And he wasn't the only person that I killed personally. I've killed people. I've crossed the line so that God uh, cannot accept me. And he broke down. He's bawling. And I said, listen, man, you know, there's hope for everybody. That's what becoming a new creation means when the Bible talks about becoming born again. It's you dying to that old man. And that will not be who you are anymore. There reached a point in our relationship where he wasn't uh, offended or resistant to Jesus anymore that he really wanted to have the answers because as tough as he was on the outside, he was miserable inside. And this is the reality, you guys. If you think that your friends and your neighbors and coworkers are okay, they're not. If they don't know Jesus Christ, there is internal conflict, whether it be with themselves whether it be some kind of demonic thing, whatever the case may be, they lack what they see in you, so don't be afraid. They lack what they see in you, the power. 
The love. The sound mind. You know what's also connected to that word for a sound mind? Confidence. People are confident in the wrong things today. You can be confident. Not only in Jesus positionally, but that he's going to care and take care of you. And that you have the power to do it. You do. When everything else looks crazy, you are the representation of Jesus Christ in a demonically influenced world. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and they all marveled. One of the only places that we see in Scripture that Jesus turned somebody away. There's some, some uh, question as to why. One reason would be that this is a Gentile area. Jesus has not even gone into the thick of his ministry to the Jews yet. How can he start going over to the Gentiles? But this is what I believe, personally, uh, Jesus was doing with this demoniac. He healed a man and set him free, and he sent him to be a forerunner. Because the gospel is coming to this area. The gospel is coming... As soon as the crucifixion happens, people are going to be sent out, and this place is going to be primed for the gospel to take place. It says that he went to all the Decapolis. The Decapolis was ten cities in that area. Do you know what one of those cities was that was close to this area? Philadelphia. Does that ring any bells for anybody? Jesus writes a letter to the church in Philadelphia. And if any of you have read the book of Revelation, there's seven churches that Jesus writes to, and who does everybody want to be associated with? Of course, I'm of the church of Philadelphia. Jesus only has good things to say about me. <laughs> All the other churches, he's, he's, he's rebuking them, he's warning them. Philadelphia, you guys are doing a great job. Be careful in this area, but you're, you're blessed, you're doing a great job. And I think we see that and other areas were getting prepared by this man, which was the only reason that Jesus crossed the sea. Did he talk to anybody else? Did he go anywhere else? Jesus crossed the sea, allowed the disciples to to experience the storm of spiritual warfare that they're going to experience more as they go deeper into ministry to talk to this one man to cleanse him and send him back to give the good news to others. Read that again if that doesn't give you the chills. I don't know. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. You have a problem sharing the gospel with people? Is it difficult for you? Do you get nervous? You don't know what to say? You try to memorize verses, but it gets hard, and you can't remember when it's time to say them. Listen, this is all you have to do 
in the first steps in being able to share the gospel, tell other people all of the great things that the Lord has done for you. Has he not? All of the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. When you say that God has had compassion on you, you put the blame where it's rightfully supposed to be. I'm the one that didn't deserve it. I'm the one that, you know, people were fine as long as I was in the mountains cutting myself, screaming out, living with the dead people. But as soon as that change comes and happens, the fear is gone. The fear is gone. So we see these two stories. The first story, the two decisions or the two options to decide is fear or faith. Jesus said it clearly. The second story, there's also uh, two choices that, that the people there had to make. What was it? It was either acceptance or rejection. They could have re- accepted Jesus because of the power he demonstrated over the demonic, or they rejected him because of their own fear of not knowing who he was and being in a comfortable place where they were. They rejected him. Now, thankfully, there was still a man who could uh, attest to all the great things that God did for him and could talk about the compassion. What did he do to deserve Jesus to go deliver him from the legion? He didn't do anything. That's the compassion of God. What did you do to earn God's love and favor? Nothing. It's a gift of God. So again, in closing, let's search our hearts and, and see if there's, any, if there's any place for fear to dwell. Identify it. Pray about it. Write it down. Talk to somebody else. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. <laughs> place your trust in Jesus and allow faith to be what allows the power of God to flow through your life and the love of God and the sound mind. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we don't want to be fearful. There's many other verses also in your word that talk about fear and how we should respond, but we thank you for your word today that instructs us not to be fearful. We've not been given a spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Allow that to be exemplified through our lives this week. Allow that to be the response that we give to others as we talk about their fears. To use it as a bridge to lead people to you so that they can experience true peace. God, thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for crossing the sea in the midst of the storm to come meet with us. You've done it to each one of us individually. And it wasn't for your compassion on us. We would be no better than this man that we read about. Destitute, hopeless. Thank you for your mercy. Demonstrate the power of your grace through our lives this week as we share and love our neighbors, our coworkers, our family.
so that we can be your witnesses and tell them what great things you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.